Imagine with me for a moment a church. This is not a church in the singular, on its own and distinct, but a church in the plural, united across a nation, joined in purpose, focused on building up God's kingdom one life at a time. It is a church that has at the heart of its DNA the grand narrative of the redemptive story of Jesus Christ, and that celebrates in the freedom and grace that such a story brings. This church is not constricted by the walls of a building, but actively engaged in the community it is planted in, desiring for God's kingdom to take root and bear fruit in local soil. A church that sees salvation as holistic, transforming God's people for God's work and equipping a generation to represent God's heart to the poor, the weak, the oppressed and the persecuted. Imagine this church committed to seeing the family as integral to all that it's called to be and do, involving intentional, committed and authentic relationships across all levels. It is the sort of place where both the young and the old feel cared for, supported and equipped. A church where people of all backgrounds and traditions come to feel at home, a cultural mosaic that honors and embraces a richness in diversity that marks us as the body of Christ. It is a church that is willing to innovate and express faith creatively, reflecting the boundless limits of God's creativity as glory to Him. A place where people gather hungry for the presence of God and passionate to see this invade all aspects of their lives where they seek to develop an intelligent spiritual faith rooted in God's word and driven with prayer. A church that does not make its Sunday services the exclamation mark of its existence, but instead the comma in its ongoing sentence. A time of service, love and engagement that inspires and emboldens all equally for the conversation that lies ahead. A church that cares disciples, rebuilds, renews. This is our city. This is our church. This is our home. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the 11 a.m. service here at The Vine. My name is Jess. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm extra happy to be here today because I actually dreamt this morning that I overslept and woke up at 10 past 11. So I am so happy I'm here, but I'm even more happy that you're here and welcome to our friends online. It's so good to see you all here. Now, is anyone here for the very first time? Anyone here? Oh, welcome, Gray or Wesley. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. So good to have you. We have a Connect Hub right outside, and we'd love for you guys to come and stop by, say hi, and anyone else who wants to hear a bit more about what's happening here at the church. If you want to get involved, we'd love to connect with you outside. We'll have Jennifer and Sujan Yan out at the Connect Hub. So don't rush off afterwards. Come and say hi. Come and meet other people. Come and just hang out. We'd love to say hi to you. Today, you'll see the setup is a little different. We've got a bit more of a dramatized version of a story that many of us are familiar with. So we've got something really exciting in store. 
This has come at the back of seven week, a seven-week series on a different spirit. And so we've actually got two courses, two discipleship courses that are coming up that we would like to tell you about. Both of these are part of the Tree of Life discipleship course. The first one is on uh, calling, I, person of destiny. And this one is exactly that. It looks at calling and destiny. It starts on the 22nd of June. The second one is uh, to help you understand better your identity and life purpose. And actually, this is more focused on inner healing. So if that's what you're looking for, that starts on the 10th of July. So please do sign up online. You've got the QR code, these. And both of these will be in a hybrid function. So it'll be in person and online. So you guys can sign up to that. And small groups are in three languages. They're in English, Cantonese, and Mandarin. So everyone gets to join in. Yeah. And now it's time for um, Take Up Our Offering. And I, I know you're familiar with this now. We have several ways you can give online there. Or you can fill out the envelope that's on your seat. And if you do fill that out, please take that with you and bring that out on your way out. And you can put it in a basket. So let me just pray for our offering right now. Father, we thank you for everything that you give us. And thank you that we only give back a small part of our inheritance. We thank you for your love, for your unfailing love, for your goodness that never fails. And may we grow in our trust in you that is reflected in our giving. And we pray that you bless this offering and may it be used for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's watch Fine News together. Hi, my name is Jess and I'm one of the pastors here at The Vine. Earlier this year, we launched the Spiritual Formation Toolkit alongside our Flourish Sermon Series. This online toolkit looks at six different spiritual disciplines, including the Bible, prayer, community, spiritual friendships, faith at work, and evangelism. Each tool offers different practical ways and resources to help you and guide you as you invest daily in your relationship with Christ. We know many of you checked out the toolkit when it was first launched, and we hope it's been helping some of you grow. But to the rest of you, today we like to highlight the prayer tool, which explores six different ways of praying. I personally use the Lectio 365 app, which has daily devotions that help me pray the Bible. It takes only 10 to 15 minutes each morning and it anchors me in God's word, his vision and love, and it gives me strength each day. We also know some groups that have used this prayer tool together as they spend time meditating on a specific passage, praying, resting in God's presence together. God speaks to each person either about themselves or something for the group. And it's often a really significant time. This is just one of the many tools in our toolkit to help you on your spiritual journey. Now, I know it can be tempting to set a bar really high for yourself, but when it comes to spiritual disciplines, especially if you find it difficult, or you find that word scary, just start small, you can do it. The end goal is for you to make it a sustainable habit so that you're growing and maturing in the long run. So my recommendation to you is to simply check out our action steps section in our prayer or any of the other toolkits and find one thing 
that you can start with. Our vision here is growing big people and that means you. So by taking the first step in this journey, you will become more and more firmly rooted in the gospel. And we truly believe that God will release you in your spheres of influence and you will make a powerful impact wherever you are. So just get started. Check out our toolkit at vinechurch.life forward slash resources. Happy growing. What do you think? Would you listen to her? (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, who is it? Now, we have a very sad goodbye, we have to say, to someone who's been an integral part of church life here at The Vine. JP, who's on the drums today, is uh, sadly leaving us and moving to the US. Yeah, so JP, you've been part of The Vine for 14 years. Uh, He's been a youth leader, he's been involved in 180 and obviously an integral part of uh, the worship team. He's on drums for all four services today. And we really honor you, yeah, JP, for always, always putting the needs of the church before you. You don't only serve when it's convenient. So thank you, thank you so much. JP will be prayed for at the 4 p.m. service, but we wanted to tell you so that you know and you can remember JP in your thoughts and prayers as he moves. And now, because it's the first Sunday of... June, uh, we're taking communion. We take communion uh, every first Sunday of the month. And this is a really special, intimate, and spiritual holy act that we take together. And I feel God remind us today to not just go through the motions, not just do this as a kind of run of a habit, but to remember it as something really special. And I feel God remind us from um, these verses in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 onwards it says whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the lord everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of christ eat and drink judgment on themselves and we don't want judgment on ourselves do we So I feel the Lord invites us to do three things together today in communion. We'll give thanks to God, we'll repent, and then we'll receive from God. So each of you should have a communion cup like this. If you don't, the champions are handing them around and please just put your hand up. But let's just hold this in our hand and let's stand together. And before we take communion, as we're just holding this, Each of us, let's remember, if you confess Jesus as Christ, let's just remember what Jesus has done for us personally. His body was broken for us. He shed his blood so that our sin was canceled. We have access to God. So give thanks to God right now in your own words. What has Jesus done for you? Let's draw near with faith. And let's enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And now taking your cup and peeling the first layer of remembering Christ's body that has been broken. Let us examine our hearts. We don't want to enter into communion with unrepented sin. 
So just let God show you in his gentleness if there's anything you need to repent of. It's a safe place. He accepts us completely and we can be honest with him. And so as you do this, hear the words that Jesus speaks. And he says that this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the wafer together. And now peeling back the next layer, let's hold the juice in our hands. Remembering that this is the blood that Christ shed for you. And now let's come to God in boldness and receive all that he has for us. Maybe you need comfort, you need healing, you need to receive his forgiveness, his mercy, and you need to just receive that you're his child, fully accepted. So as you receive, let's drink the blood together. Drink the juice together. And let me pray. Father, we thank you for your new covenant. We thank you that we can drink the cup and eat the bread together. We thank you that all who truly repent are forgiven. And we thank you that you give each of us a newness of life. May we receive the fullness of your goodness. We thank you that you call each of us your child. And so we submit our whole lives to you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us continue to worship God through singing.
gonna let me down You're never gonna Never gonna let me down You're never gonna let Never gonna let me down You're never gonna let Never gonna let me
showed me that when he puts you back together and almost you've been wishing God just put me back together just any way you can just put me back together but I, sh I saw that God wanted you to know that he doesn't just put you back together the way you were like the Japanese when they fix a broken pot and they use gold to put the broken pieces back together I could see that God was weaving gold into you. He's putting you back together with something richer and deeper and more precious. So his encouragement to you is to know the depth of his goodness towards you today. It, it's not anywhere near what you think it is. It's way, way more. And he is at work putting your life back together.
just rest in that knowledge today that you are coming out of this, out of this brokenness with things that you never had before with a depth and a richness you've never known before. Trust in God's hands. Trust in his goodness. It's far, far more than you can imagine.
around us. That you love me. just for the person next to us, but that this love is for us. It's for me. It's for you. That this is your love. This is how great your love is. That you came for each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, open our hearts to receive more of your love. To believe this love makes no sense. It's for us. So we receive it now. Well, it's um, such an honor to be with you all this morning. Uh, I really mean that. It's, uh, it's an honor. You know, when you've lived the life that I have lived and done the things that I have done, you never take it for granted to be in a room with people like you guys. So I'm grateful. You, you know, whenever I share my story, um, it's hard to know exactly when to begin. So I'm, I'm going to go right back to the beginning and we'll kind of go from there. Um, I was born into a family where me and my older brother were, were dearly and deeply loved by our father and mother. From as early as I could remember, I was, I was lavishly loved by them. My family were the wealthiest, wealthiest family in all of our area, in all of our region. Uh, my father was a farmer, and he had uh, made for himself this massive farm, brought all of this land, and this land was all of his, and he had made this life for us, and we were known throughout the region for our prosperity, but also for my father's name, for the respect that that name carried. And as, uh, of course, in uh, a certain way, the respect we carried because of him. 
I mean, I, I had everything. You, you should have seen some of the festivals that we held at our farm. They were the, the most sought after, the most wanted to be at festivals during the festival time than any other farmer in that region. We had the biggest house. We had the most amount of cattle. We had the biggest amount of money. I had literally everything. And I hated every minute of it. I hated it because every day for me was a reminder that everything around me was not actually mine. That everything around me was reeking of my father's success. That, that every day I was put in front of me in my face, all of this stuff that my dad had done, the way he had been able to live his life, earn the respect, and everything around me wasn't actually mine. None of it spoke about my name. None of it spoke about what I have achieved. I, in fact, I felt like I had achieved nothing as I was surrounded and trapped by all of my father's everything. I wonder if you've ever felt like that yourself. I would talk about this with my older brother all the time. <laughs> there was this one day where one of our hired men came to us and said, hey, one of the cattle right out on the east side of the field of the farm has passed away. And so I said to my brother, come on, let's go. Let's go and have a look at this dead animal. And so we walked all the way out over there to the east side of the farm. And I remember the day beautifully because as we were walking, the sun was setting majestically just behind us. And we get to this dead animal and I pull my, my brother over and I say, brother, do you see this dead animal? I said, that's just how I feel inside. I feel dead just like him. My brother was like, what are you talking about? I mean, are you stupid? Are you mad? I mean, get a life. And I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. I want to get a life. I want to have a life for myself, a name for myself. I want to take success and, and taste what success looks like just for me. I don't want to get all this stuff from everyone else. I feel like I'm torn up inside. My, my brother thinks I'm an idiot. And this is the funny thing. I knew that my brother felt exactly the same as I did. And it was so typical, my older brother, so typical that he felt the same way, but he buried all that feeling inside. That, that he really wanted to uh, make some sort of expression of how he felt, but he just kept his mouth shut. And I looked at him and I thought, I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to change my situation, even if he won't. <laughs> the idea I came up with was truly genius. When I look back on it now, I, I think of the audacity that I had. I decided that I was going to ask my father for my inheritance. <laughs> Under Jewish law, a third of all of my father's assets and wealth were coming to me when he passed away. A third. My older brother would get two-thirds according to our Jewish customs. I don't understand why he would get two-thirds just because he was born a few years before me. Regardless, I was getting a third, and a third of my father's stuff was a lot. And I knew that if I was to ask him for this money, it was completely against our traditions. You have to remember, I was about 18 years old at this time. My father in his mid-50s, he was going to live forever. I couldn't wait that long. I wanted that money, that inheritance right now. And I knew because I'm smart. I knew what I was asking. 
I knew that if I asked him for that money, essentially I was saying that he was dead to me. Essentially I was saying that I wanted to divorce from the family. That I no longer wanted to associate myself as a son of his. I wanted that money now as if he was dead so I can go and do with that money as I please. It was a genius idea. Even more genius was how I did it. My father, every day, would hold a meeting at the table. The meeting at the table was designed to decide what the workload was going to be for that day. And he would gather at the head of the table. My older uh, brother would sit here. I was supposed to sit here, but I never bothered to go to this meeting because it was boring. But I knew that my father here, with all of the hired men around the table, that the pressure of him saying yes to me would have increased. And this was my moment. I'd burst into the meeting and make it right there and then in front of everybody else right at that hour. So I did. I came to the side. I threw open the door of the meeting and I burst into the room whilst they were all talking. And I walked right up to my father and I said, Father, I want my inheritance. My father, he's sitting there, holding his meeting, sees me come in, hears those words. Everybody's eyes in the room is on him. And he sits there, and he turns, and he looks out of the open door, the one that I had just walked in through. And he looks out of that open door to the fields that lay just beyond them, his beloved fields. And he stares at those fields for what seems like an eternity. And then he turns. He looks at me and he says, Son, if that's what you want, that is what you'll get. Did you hear that? He actually said yes. I mean, he had no reason legally to do it, but he said yes, I was elated. I, I couldn't believe how easy it was. It, in fact, the fact that it was so easy suddenly dawned on me that maybe this was a mistake. Maybe it was so easy because he didn't actually respect me as his son after all. Maybe the, the, the quickness of that decision kind of made me feel less of a son. It actually made me feel like I was just one of the hired people. Well, if this is what he really thinks about me, that he's not willing to fight for me, well, then I'm going to take his money and I'm going to run so a week later, I gathered up all that I had, one third of everything he had ever owned, and I took off to the farthest way away that I could possibly get, to a new city, stuffed with cash in my pockets to make a name for myself finally, a new land, a new place, a new city where I could be king for a day. Trust me. You should have seen me in those days. I only wish my brother had seen me. <laughs> I was what um, I think you say in your time, a rock star. I took all of that money and man, I spent it. I brought the most lavish of clothes you could imagine. I used that money to get into all the parties that you could get into. I became someone in that city. Everybody knew my name. That money brought me success. It brought me respect. I began to feel just what it was like to be a little bit like my father. It was glorious. Glorious until something went wrong. Now, you have to understand that it wasn't my fault. 
it wasn't my fault that just at the time that my money was beginning to run out, a famine came through the city. Now, I can tell just by looking in this room right now that none of you are actually acquainted with famine. But when famine comes, it strips everything from you. You can't even buy food. It's literally not available. And just at the moment when my money was running a little bit low, I suddenly found myself desperate and in need. So I reached out to all these new friends that I had made, the ones that I'd gone to the parties with, the ones that I'd uh, kind of brought their attention into my life. And I went to them and I said, would you, would you just help me out? If you give me a little bit of a loan, it would just help me to get through, get back on my feet. I'll definitely pay you back. Guess what? None of my new friends ever went into their pockets to help me out. Couldn't you believe that? That no one would back me. I mean, I would never turn my back on my family and my friends in a time of need. Okay, well, anyway. Now, despite what my brother might tell you, I'm not adverse to hard work. I mean, I got some skills. I grew up on a farm. So I decided the best way to get out of this situation was just to hire myself out to somebody to, to work on their farm. So I did what every reasonable person would do. I went to the gate of the city and I waited there to be hired by someone to go and work on their farm for the day. And sure enough, this, this wealthy Gentile stands over and he looks at all the people in the line. He points at me and he says, this one, I want you to come with me. I was selected first. That's how I am elated that I would finally be able to get back on my feet. I walked with this gentleman towards his farm. And as we were walking, I said to him, so, so what are we going to do? What would you like me to do? How can I help out on your farm? And he turns to me and he starts to laugh at me. And he says, you're Jewish, aren't you? And I said, yes, yes, I am. And he says, I thought so. I'm going to take you and you're going to muck out my pigs. You have to understand that for a Jewish person, even touching a pig makes you defiled, makes you unclean, not just physically, but spiritually before our God. And here was this Gentile who forces me for hours and hours to muck out the manure of the pigs on his farm. I was covered from foot to head and all of this horrible pig manure on me. And I realized how low I had fallen. I realized how terrible things had actually gotten. Suddenly, I, I began to understand that I was wretched more than perhaps anyone I had ever met. I came to understand that sometimes, perhaps, you have to get to the very bottom before you can journey back up towards the top. I had what you in your time would say is an epiphany. For me, I came to my senses. As I looked at myself with all of this stuff on me, looking at the pigs around me, I remembered the many times that Father and I would actually go to the gates of our city to hire the day laborers for the day on our farm. And I remember how my father would choose the day laborers. He would always look for the one that was the most downtrodden, the most worn down, the most in poverty, because he knew if he chose that person, that person would work the hardest. And as I remembered those many days of standing by that gate, watching my father choose the hired men, I understood that in the current context that I was in, if I was standing at the gate of my father's city, 
he would choose me. I realized that I was no longer worthy to be a son of my father. But I did think that if I could just get myself up and if I could just go back, and if I could show myself to him, that he would take a look at me, and, and, and he would decide that he'd be willing to hire me as one of his day laborers on his farm. And I thought, if I could just be hired by my father, I would be in a better situation than I am right now. And with that little thread of hope, I got up, and I began the long walk Back home. Well, I guess by now you've probably met my younger brother. You know, there were many months where I couldn't even bring myself to say the word brother. <laughs> I would say to mother and father, I would say, that son of yours, that son of yours, because he had disowned us. He had literally divorced himself from our family. He had turned his back on us, taken a third of everything we had worked hard for and just walked away. I mean, can you even get your head around it? The arrogance of such an act that he'd be willing to turn his back on me. One that has walked with him almost every single day of his life, disowning me, turning his back, taking our money, walking away. This one did not deserve anymore to have the title brother. He was the son of somebody else. My brother always was so hot-headed. He was so immature in how he thought about everything. He thought the world should revolve around him when he didn't realize that he's so blessed to be a part of the family that he was in. <laughs> My brother all the time was trying to communicate, try to convince me that his way of seeing the world was right. I remember this one day. We had heard from the servants in our household that one of our cattle had died on the far east field of the farm. And, and so I decided I was going to go out there and take a look. And, and I looked around and I found my, my younger brother and I grabbed him and I, I dragged him with me on the long walk because he was so lazy. I know that he would not gone on his own. And we get out there, and I, I remember it so well. The sun was setting in the background, and there was the dead animal, and we're standing over this dead animal, and you will not believe what my younger brother said. He goes, hey, you see this dead animal? That's just how I feel inside. <laughs> I mean, can you believe it? Like, as if he feels dead inside? Are you serious? I said to him, are you crazy? I mean, I mean, do you not see everything around you that you have? Do you not see the location that you're in, the privilege that you have? Get a life, man. I think he thought that I was going to be in some solidarity with him, that I was going to agree with him, rebel against my father. I would never rebel against my father. I love my father. <laughs> Besides, if I was going to take the money and leave, who's going to actually run the farm? Would my brother run the farm? I don't think so. 
He was the laziest kid ever. Seriously, I worked so hard just covering for his laziness. He, he never pulled his weight any day on that farm. I would work double shifts just to cover for what he wasn't doing. Did my father ever notice that I was working extra hard? Did my father ever stop to say, hey, well done, son. I see you're covering for your brother. Did my father ever once take the time to recognize all that I was doing for him, covering and standing in gap for my brother? No, he did not. In fact, I, I tell you this. Half the time, it felt like my father favored my brother over me. I mean, I'm the oldest, the eldest. I'm the one who should at least have a special place in the lineage of our family, in the respect of our family. But it seemed like my father always preferred my brother than he did me. I wondered whether my father would ever stand up would ever actually tell my brother to get in line, would actually ever call him out for his laziness, would my father ever have the backbone to say something? I thought the moment arrived one day when we were gathered here at our weekly morning meeting. We were sat like we always did, my father at the head of the table, me where I sat, my brother, his chair empty because he never came to this meeting, all the hired men gathered around, and we were deciding what the workload was going to be for that day. And as we're discussing what we were going to do, guess what? Suddenly, the door opens up, and in bursts my brother. And he walks straight up to my father, and here's the words that come out of his mouth. He says, Father, give me my inheritance. This was my father's moment. This was the moment where he would finally stand up to my brother. This was the moment where he would finally tell him where his place was, get him to sit in the chair and do a hard day's work. This was the moment my father was finally going to have that backbone. And I turned and I stared at him and I looked him right in the eyes and I was like, this is your moment. You know what he did? He turned and he looked out of that door at the fields just beyond him. And for what seemed like ages, he just stared out at his fields. And then he turned around and he said to my brother, he said, if that is what you want, that is what you're going to get. He said yes. He let my brother take a third of all of our property and go. The moment where I thought he would finally stand up for himself, he gave in. I literally could not believe it. <laughs> A week later, my brother took everything and went away. I never said goodbye. He never offered it. And although I was so angry at what he did, it dawned on me that actually this was the best thing for me. That with my brother now divorced from the family and gone, finally, actually, my brother's departure was a relief to me. For now, maybe my father would give me the attention that I always deserved. I mean, my father didn't have two sons anymore. He just had the one, me. And finally now was the chance for me to repair that relationship and be back in his good books. That surely now he would look upon me with favor and with hope and with love. 
You can imagine, therefore, how painful it was six months later when my brother returned. <laughs> I always knew he would come back. My brother could not organize a party in a vineyard, let alone try to organize his life. And I knew that the money would run out at some point. And when that money runs out, he's going to come back with his tail between his legs. Sure enough, six months later, he comes back. That didn't surprise me. What surprised me was how I found out about it. It was at the end of another long day. I was in the fields, as I always was, slaving away, working hard, sweat of the brow stuff. And I was just completing my full days of work, and I was walking back towards the farmhouse, and you'll never believe what I heard. Music, singing, songs, a party happening. You need to understand, in Jewish custom, it's the eldest son who always hosted and threw the parties. It's the oldest one who would gather people, send out the invites, host them when they arrived. A party happening in the household without me? What was going on? I had no idea, so I called one of our servants to me. And I said, what, what's going on? Why is there a party happening in the farmhouse? He's like, didn't you hear? Your brother's returned. And, and your father, he's killed the fatted calf. He's thrown a party. The fatted calf, the one special animal we put aside for one time in the year when the harvest is brought in and we celebrate God's goodness to us, that animal my father has sacrificed for this brother? I could not literally get my head around it. That how could my father do such a thing? My father had never even ever given me a scorny little goat to celebrate with my friends. And when this one who had taken a third of all of his wealth, had gone away, squandered it, come back, and then he gets the fatted calf. I stood in that field. And I crossed my arms. And I said in my heart, I said, I am never standing foot in that house ever again. Well, I uh, guess by now you've probably met my two sons. <laughs> Quite a family I have, eh? If any of you are parents in this room, you might uh, understand a little bit about what I've been through in the last little while. Parenting is not easy, is it? You need to know right up front that I love my two sons completely. In fact, if I'm honest with you, the reason why I have felt so much pain it's because I love them the way I do. If I didn't care about them, their actions wouldn't have any impact on me. But, but my wife and I, we have always loved them. We have given them everything. I have worked hard all my life so that they would know the blessings of God. They would know the fruitfulness of our labor. I lavished my love upon those two boys as much as I could. <laughs> On the surface, my two sons seem quite different, don't they? My eldest son is, is proud and stern and diligent and works hard and, if I'm honest with you, is a little bit stubborn. My younger son is fancy-free, opens his mouth and he puts his foot in it all the time. He has dreams and visions. He's, 
He's somewhat rebellious, if I'm honest with you. On the surface, they seem very different, but actually, when you get to know my sons, you get to understand that actually they're very, very similar deep down inside. That actually, deep down inside, both of them are struggling to find their identity, wanting to know who they truly are. Both of them think that they know what's best in life, and they want to move forward in life in the way that they deem best. Both of them are wrestling inside with a longing and a desire for belonging and acceptance. My, my, my youngest son, thinking that he can get belonging acceptance by, by actually getting rid of his responsibilities. My older son, thinking he can get belonging acceptance by embracing his responsibilities. Both of them rebel against their father. My youngest son, in his decision to leave the household and distance himself from me. My eldest son, in his decision to remain in the household and distance himself from me. Parenting is not easy. But I wonder if you would just open your heart for a moment and listen to our story again. I think you might hear some things that might help you in your story. Let's start with my youngest son. He was under the impression that he could get all the benefits from being my son without any of the relationship or responsibility that goes along with it. This all came to a head for us one day when I was hosting my normal morning meeting with my eldest son, the hired man. My youngest son was supposed to be there, but he never showed up to that meeting. And as we're having the meeting, like we always do, the door bursts open and in he storms right in front of everyone. And he comes straight up to me and he says these words. He says, Father, I would like my inheritance. <laughs> Could you imagine it? His inheritance? In my frustration, I, I turned and I looked out of the open door that he had just walked into. And I looked out at the fields that I could see far off in the distance. And as I was looking out the door, listen to this. The Holy Spirit spoke to me. And the Holy Spirit said, do you see this open door in front of you? That open door is a prophetic sign about your heart. Always keep your heart open towards your sons. Never close your heart towards them. As I looked at those fields and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me about openness always, well, it was easy then to make a decision. <laughs> I turned back and I looked at my son and I said, son, if that is your heart's desire, then it is my desire too. A week later, he took a third of everything that I had ever worked for and he went off to a foreign place. Now, I'm a smart person. I realized that this was probably not the healthiest thing for him. I realized that this was going to be a difficult journey. I realized it would also be a painful, difficult journey for me too. And day in, day out for months, I sat at this table and I prayed. I sat at this table and I looked out of that open door. I never shut that door. For months after months, I looked out of there praying and asking that God would bring him home again to me. As irony would have it, I was sitting here at the end of one of the days doing some accounts. 
And I glanced out of the open door to the fields. And you'll never guess what I saw. I saw the silhouette of my son. He was, he was a long way away, but right then I knew it was him. I could tell straight away that my son who was lost had returned. I, my heart leapt in me. I couldn't hold myself back. I, I jumped up like a madman. I, I grabbed the hem of my robe and I ran as fast as I could down the fields towards him. And as I got near him, I opened my hands and I put my arms around him and squeezed him as much as I could. And man, he stank. And as I was holding him, he, he starts this prepared speech. He starts to say, oh, oh Dad, I'm, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I, I just want to be like one of your hired men. And I, I cut him off. And I said, when were you ever worthy to be my son? You're not my son by what you do. You're my son because you are my son. I said, you don't have to earn yourself to be my son. You are son by birth, not by action." And I put my arms around him and I began to kiss his cheeks. And, and I called the servants and I said, we need, to, we need to make this one right. We need to reestablish who he is. And we got a robe and we put it back on him. I took the signet ring that he had left behind. I put it on his finger. I, I put those sandals on his feet and he was my son. I, I said to the hired hands, I said, look, go. We need to kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party tonight because my son who was lost has returned and he is here. It was the greatest night of my life. Well, almost. <laughs> About halfway through the party, I realized that my eldest son was not in the room. I said to one of our hired hands, I said, where is my son? And he said, oh, he's still out there in the fields refusing to come in. And so for the second time that day, I went out into the fields looking for one of my lost sons. As I approached him, I could see he was standing there with his arms folded and I walked up to him, and before I could even say anything, he starts to berate me, shouting at me. All of the years of frustration seemed to just be released in that moment. I could literally see fire in his eyes. He starts telling me how much he feels like he's a slave to me, how hard he's worked for me, all the things that he thinks he's done that I've never once ever stopped to appreciate him, that I've never given him anything, and that now this son who had gone away and squandered all our wealth has come back, I kill the Added calf and, and, and my son is overwhelmed with anger and fury that I would treat him and his brother like this. I let him just scream and shout until he's spent. And then I walk forward and I put my hands on his shoulders and I look him in the eyes. And I say, son, I love you. I have always loved you. Everything around you is yours. Everything that I have ever done has been for you. You want for nothing in my household. I love you so, so much. And then I said, but your attitude is just like your brother's. He tries to lose his identity through false freedom. You're trying to find your identity through false obedience. I said both are a chasing after the wind. 
I said, your brother has returned. And it's right that we offer him grace. I told him that grace is a difficult concept to understand, that grace seems frustrating. Grace doesn't seem to bring justice along with it, that grace seems to be against how we are often feeling inside, but grace always demands a party. And I challenged him whether he would consider offering the same grace that I had always offered him now to his brother. Would he come in and join me at the party and show that kind of grace to one who has walked away from us but has now returned? Whenever I share this story, people always ask me, well, did he? Did he come into the party? I never tell them. And I always finish our story that way for a reason. Because I think it therefore ends the story on an invitation from anyone who would ever hear of it. Here's the question. Would you have joined the party? Think about it for a second. Would you have gone in and embraced the brother? Would you have found yourself offering grace in such radical, beautiful ways? When when people hear the story of my two sons, here's what they often do. They try to find themselves in one of the sons. Am I the oldest son, proud and stubborn? Am I the young son who's rebellious and free caring? And let me just tell you this. You will be both sons at some point in your life. The story is not about whether you're one of the sons. The story is an invitation to whether you'll be like the Father, whether you might extend grace. Do not reject the things that the Father accepts. Extend grace, for it has been extended to you. That's the beauty of the pain and the journey and the redemption I have been through with my family. And as you hear our story, my prayer and my hope is that you'd find your story in it. That the Holy Spirit might challenge you also, like he did for me that day, to never close my heart to the ones that the Father has already accepted. Are you someone of grace? Or have you distanced yourself again? before the father. That's the story of the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. I wonder whether we could pray together. Shall we pray? I'm going to pray as Andrew Gardner, by the way, just when you know. (laughs) Father, we pray. We come before you in this beautiful, sacred moment off the back of this beautiful, sacred story. A story told to something thousand years ago, retold today, still with relevance for us. And like Susanna shared during our worship time, you are putting all of us back together. You lavish us with your love and your desire for us. You forgive us, restore us, no matter how rebellious we've been. And Lord, there are people in this room that can identify with the prodigal son, knowing that they've run a long way away but here today, hearing afresh, you running in the fields towards them, never having closed your heart to them. Father, there are some in this room that would identify with the older son, 
perhaps been Christians all their lives, but struggled with their relationship with you, that they've distanced themselves sometimes, maybe thinking that they're not getting the blessings that they deserve. But Father, I believe you're calling all of us in this room today to identify with the Father, to see the Father true and well, to recognize that we have been forgiven and offered great grace, radical grace, unrelenting grace, grace that we do not deserve, but grace that has been given. And in the giving of that grace, we have a choice. Will we join the grace party? Or will we reject the things that the Father accepts? And as you sit in the beauty of this story again, can I encourage you just to bring that thought before Jesus now? Would you have gone into the party? Are you someone who walks in a profound realization of the grace on you and then is willing to offer that grace again and again and again to those that perhaps you don't even think deserve it. I believe those with a different spirit in our city in this time are those who offer radical grace. Take your time just to soak on that thought, on this story as our worship team comes and just leads us in response.
particularly wants to speak to two groups of people. God is reminding each of us that his door is always open to us. His heart is always open to us. And if any of you feel like you've messed up, it's like what Pastor Andrew said, you feel like you've reached rock bottom, there's no way up. I feel God particularly wants to minister to you, to, to pour out that hope onto you, into your heart. And for another group of people, if you feel like you don't belong, you've never been accepted, that's a lie. God accepts you and you belong. We here at The Vine, we say we fully accept you and you can belong here. This can be your spiritual home. 
And to anyone online as well, if, if that's something that you resonate with, we'd love to invite you to those who are here, come forward for prayer. We have a team here. We have Pastor Carla upstairs. Come forward for prayer. Don't be shy. But if you've come with friends, let's extend grace to each other too. Let's pray for each other. So Father, I pray that your grace will sink deep now. Your love will overwhelm each of us. That our, son, our sense of being a son and a daughter will grow even deeper today and as we go out this week. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for what you have done today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please, yes. Please do come forward for prayer. We really want to pray for you. Or turn to your friends and pray for each other. A couple of things to remind you of. A worksheet is available. Uh, take the worksheet. Go through it with your small group, with your friends. Or look at it. Um, and also, as, as you go out, please take the envelope with you if you have filled it in for giving. And please do remember to take out your little uh, communion parcel. There's a rubbish bin outside. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. It's so good to see you. Pray for each other. Come forward for prayer. God bless you. See you next week.